0: The party began here in West Lafayette. One of the top five places to watch a
1: college basketball game. I, I would argue you can't find a better one. Three
2: on the way.
0: Bullseye! Ah! I feel the electricity in the house. The passion.
1: It's a wall of sound. Hearing back.
0: It is quite with thing. They
1: got a wall about you. for three.
2: <laughs> this is the Boiler Ball Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined with the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman. It's episode 94 here on the podcast as we near the century mark, Rob. Unbelievable. 94 of these things.
2: Closing in on 100.
1: Closing in on 100. So uh, wanted to take a little bit of a uh, off-the-beaten-path uh, approach today uh, and bring in a special guest. Um, Greg Persino joins us. He is with the Naismith Hall of Fame, a vice president, their actual title, Vice President for External Events and Partnerships. Um, First of all, Greg, uh, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Uh, You and I have worked uh, with each other for a number of years now, and um, I want to explain to our listeners, uh, Greg is responsible for a lot of the events that the Hall of Fame puts on um, in the form of uh, the tournament that we've played in twice um, at the Mohegan Sun and also a lot of one-off uh, individual games um, and I thought the reason that uh, we wanted to get you on this time of year is we just completed our game up in Toronto and you were the, uh, the organization and, and the guy behind getting that done so we'll get into that uh, a lot but um, talk about your day-to-day role um, in what you do at the Hall of Fame
0: yeah no for sure uh and i think you know from from our perspective like you know i I sit in a pretty unique role here because you know at the basketball hall of fame here we we uh as part of our mission um you know we celebrate and promote the games at all at all levels of, of basketball all around the world and um you know therefore you know the hall um has decided to put time and energy uh in being as relevant as possible to uh, the, the current game um, and the future of the game, uh, as well as keeping in mind of our mission um, that ultimately ties back into you know, our home base here at the birthplace of basketball in Springfield. So you know, my, role, my role spans the course of the year, everything from you know, the enshrinement ceremony where Coach Keaty was inducted you know, last summertime to the early season basketball events in November and December on the college side some of our elite-level high school events, ball um, Classic uh, in particular over Martin Luther King Day weekend, um, as well as managing some of the award programs um, that, uh, that, that we have e- a year-round, whether that be inside of college basketball or outside of college basketball. And then because so many of those activities, um, you know, require uh, the attention of, um, of sponsorship opportunities, a lot of our external sponsors with Learfield and our internal partners that we manage here kind of flow through our event calendar um, to enable us to ultimately, um, you know, brand the Hall of Fame uh, in a national and international way, um, create new relationships in the game, and and then ultimately fundraise, you know, for our nonprofit here at the Hall. Um, and And that's at a macro level. And as Elliot knows, as we get into the the details and the weeds of of college basketball and college basketball scheduling and events you know there's a lot that goes into um underneath that to ensure that we have uh that we're well respected and we treat everyone to the best of our our ability and put on the best events possible
1: how many years have you been with the hall of fame now
0: uh 2007. okay when, when i started here um so that was it's been 15 16 years and the hall is an institution um uh, has come a long way in in, uh, in 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 the last decade or so to, to hopefully earn the respect of the entire basketball community. Do you
2: uh, do you have a basketball background, Greg? Are you for you raised? Do you play uh, high school basketball? Those kind of things, or how ultimately did you end up in the game of basketball?
0: Well, so I mean, I I, I would say I was a I did, I did play high school basketball. I was a I was a bad player at the end of the bench of a bad team. <laughs> So um, that was clearly not where I was going to create my future. Um, But what I did do um, is that uh, I actually went to Springfield College, which is the Division Three school here uh, in Springfield, where Naismith actually invented the game. Uh, And that led that opened the door here at the Hall of Fame. Um, And uh, uh, fortunately, I got an opportunity at the right time and and have made the most of it. So I mean, my path wasn't through playing, per se. I do Moonlight as an official uh, every once in a while. Even still today, uh, but my path was really um, through through my college opportunity at uh, at Springfield College.
1: That's really cool. That uh, and 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 I got to think that you know we've been there a couple times to the event in um, at, Mo- at the Mohegan Sun, and every time or both times we've been able to take the team to the Hall of Fame. We've done a dinner there the night before the tournament uh, kind of kicked off, and it was it was really really great. Um, is the is the hall of fame in springfield i mean is that is there as much pride in it um in that community as one would think from the outside
0: yeah so i mean obviously the the roots of the game being the birthplace um is a talking point we use often and and people certainly people locally respect that um yeah but you know our audience if you will that comes to to see the hall um is about 250,000 people a year, and because we because we represent the entire game, actually is pretty much a worldwide kind of audience that come to, comes to comes and comes here to to tour and learn about the history of the game. And you know, we also like to call ourselves kind of the living history of basketball. Um, you know, because you know things happen in the game every day, every night, every year, um, and the ability ability to celebrate and promote those moments. Uh, not even not even necessarily through our own events, but just the sport in general. Um, you know, that can be everything from, you know, Purdue winning the national championship in April uh, to, you know, LeBron and the Lakers winning an NBA championship or, you know, Dwayne Wade and Gene Katie going into the Hall of Fame in August. Um, yeah. So I think there is, there is a lot of pride um, from, uh, from being the birthplace of basketball and keeping our roots here in Springfield. Um, and representing the entire game of basketball, you know, all around the world, and that that does separate us from, you know, say Canton, Ohio, or Cooperstown on the baseball side, that they don't focus on the entire spectrum of the game. Um, we're unique in that we do, um, and that 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 ability to to interact and connect, you know, those great college coaches with the great players at the NBA level or even down to the high school level, that's unique to the Hall of Fame here and. And, and we need those relationships in the game at the highest level to, to ensure that the Hall of Fame can sustain itself forever.
1: That's a great point. I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't really think about it as much um, that it is all levels. And it is, uh, and remembering back to when we toured, um, that was always a highlight for our guys is you go in there and, You know, our guys gravitate to the NBA stuff because that's, you know, they grow up and and now they're seeing some of these guys. They're seeing uh, like the Kobe display was one of the highlights for our guys. Like they couldn't they couldn't click enough pictures when we were uh, when we were touring that. Um, And and you guys have there's been a remodel done in the last, I guess, few years. Right. Of the uh, facility there.
0: Yeah. So we did a we did a twenty five million dollar capital campaign um, actually through the pandemic. So that actually did that was fun. (laughs) Well, so the construction took place during the pandemic, which actually was permissible in that crazy time of all of our lives. Um, That actually, believe it or not, wound up being a positive um, because we were able to complete the construction and, and and funny, you mentioned the, the, the Kobe exhibit and obviously, you know if you had a crystal ball i don't think anyone would have predicted that moment to happen and and then all the things that spun off kind of kobe's passing but you know we obviously get to see a lot in the game um mm-hmm. at all levels um but I'll, I'll tell you what the night i mean vanessa bryant with you know their their kids came uh to open the exhibit oh wow and, you know, the night before kobe was inducted into the hall of fame and you know that moment of his daughter kind of hugging her dad in that space. Oh, wow. That love and basketball film that almost was curated for that moment, yeah. oddly enough. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's something that, that at least for me, that uh, I'll, I'll remember that forever. Um, Cause the, you know, obviously we all have families and a uh, basketball is a, as a byproduct of kind of what we do. But when it hits that personal um, with someone that impactful, um, you know that's a story the Hall of Fame should tell and i'm not surprised your guys gravitated toward that, but um there was a, there was an image on social media with her with with Vanessa that Vanessa took hugging with her daughter kind of hugging Kobe and you know that's one that that's one that will stick for a long time
1: yeah the 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 remodel is fantastic we were there um before that, a few years before that, uh, for our listeners, is when P.J. Thompson's class, when they were soft, when they were sophomores, and we went out there, uh, participated in that event, um, and uh, were able to win that event, beat Florida in the championship game. And then, obviously, a couple of years ago, we went back and played that loaded field where it was uh, we played North Carolina in the first game and then beat Villanova in the championship game. I remember when we signed up for that, you and I talked, boy, it would have had to have been probably five or six years ago six seven years ago something like that as far out as those tournaments get booked and yeah uh, we,
0: did, we did that one early yeah um, and obviously times are changing in the scheduling space where that's a little unusual these days but it you know these the the, the, the events like that have a weird way of kind of organically forming when they're at their best yeah um, and that had that kind of feel to it and obviously um, at least I didn't realize or didn't know that you guys would be where you were at that time. And, um, I mean that, that had, you know, a sweet 16 elite eight type feel to it. Um, but uh, having done the scheduling side of it for a long time at this point, I guess I'm showing my agent now, um, you know, the best things we've done in the space have come when they've organically formed that the teams have all been on the same page and aligned with the same outcome and um obviously someone's gonna win and someone's gonna lose but um to have everyone on the same page and really want those elite level games at the same time yeah um uh, just kind of naturally form organically that um that doesn't always happen that way
2: well, and, yeah, Carter, well th- yeah think about that greg north carolina lost the two games they played in that tournament And then they go on to play uh, in the national championship game. (laughs) Yeah. So you talk about again, as you said, it's sometimes it's just a matter of it organically happening. There's no way of knowing. But uh, you, yeah, you had a a team playing in that tournament in November that goes on to play for the national title. So that uh, that worked out well for you.
0: And and who knew that that was going to be Jay Wright's last season? Also, I
2: mean, yeah, great point.
0: Uh, you know that that kind of that kind of and he he went to the they went to the final four that year, too And Dan Gavin was on our board and was with us that weekend You know, we saw him at the end of the road and you know he made a comment, was like man the team we saw in no- November There's no way. I thought they'd be here on championship Monday. I think that's probably the u- universally true um, Although the game they had with you guys was a great game that day. I mean, it's not like yep. they were that yes That that was not an uncompetitive basketball game,
1: right? it that game i remember when you call we we talked and you said well here's the deal we got villanova north carolina and tennessee and i was like okay and i said well all right let me let me ask coach see what he thinks and i'll never forget this i told him i told him the field and he just goes well he said uh yeah we can't be scared our whole life let's do it okay so then that was that was probably at a time where um we we were continuing to grow and evolve as a program, and we got to that point where it was like, all right, we're. I think coach probably felt a little more secure um, in you know and confident in his abilities and his program's abilities, probably more so is probably a more accurate way to put it. And so then it became a the start of really the start of our philosophy of, of scheduling as many good games as possible, um, and, and it obviously worked out because as you know, sometimes you schedule a team ahead of time. And then, for whatever reason, they're not as good. And the flip side of that, there, you know, sometimes you you think it's going to be a weak field, and then, like, three or four years later, and the tournament rolls around, and you're like, boy, this thing's loaded. Um, I'm sure that's happened to you over the course of the years.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, and we talk about this internally as we kind of look at the business side of this, right? It's, you know, uh, Annie, I remember when we did the, um, I think you guys played in Brooklyn with us too that year. Yep. Um, yes. You know, I, uh, you, I think you guys came in number one in the country and I don't know if it was on the re- on the on the heels of our tournament or or, or what but you know we those the, the events have um you know the business side of it you know sometimes gets planned far enough in advance without a crystal ball that all it takes is you know the wrong player to get hurt, the the wrong coach to get fired, the wrong type of weather in a city um, and all of a sudden what you thought you had, looks very different and part of how we view it is you know that okay well, we have to be prepared to sustain that you know roller coaster if you will and kind of non-conference college basketball while also ensuring that whatever we're doing um you know meets everyone's expectations yeah, uh, yeah. that's just not that's just not a perfect that's just not a perfect system um and i, I we do the best we can to, to navigate it but i mean i think the variables mm-hmm. that could either be good or not so good um, is, is challenging. It has, to be, it has to be factored into how you know, teams like you all make decisions and, and how people like us you know, operate these things in a way that, that you know, obviously respect the game, respect the teams, and, and can sustain, sustain itself economically.
1: Have there been any outliers that you can recall that like, that went one way or the other? like good or bad, where like maybe a year where you schedule and thought, well, you know, I had to just get this year done. And and, and so our listeners know, too, like Greg's talked, talked about the game in Brooklyn, you have a lot of one-off games or doubleheaders basically scattered around the country on any given year. Has there been, uh, uh, like I said, uh, any outliers that uh, you thought, man, this is a slam dunk and it went the wrong way from – a variety of reasons that you just mentioned or one that you had low expectations for that really were exceeded by the play of teams
0: yeah i mean i I would call out one example more and this is uh, this was uh this was a more recent situation um for us uh and 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 i want to preface this by saying that at the end of the day um you know everyone had a had a really good experience but we had planned um, to do Kentucky and Michigan and London before the pandemic. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That obviously didn't happen um, in the year it was scheduled. So we, we all mutually agreed to move it two years back, and we did it in 2022. Um, the one variable we hadn't factored in was the um, Qatar-based rescheduled World World Cup that happened to be rescheduled for the winter of 2022 Mm. and england drew the ping pong ball that put them on a on a date that we we were going to play oh (laughs) so (laughs) you know like if anyone had that crystal ball i'd like to meet that person (laughs) yeah um because the world cup had never been rescheduled let alone rescheduled to the winter let alone be in qatar <laughs> let alone have england draw the ping pong ball that landed on the date we were going to play um and what? we made the best of it and we still did 8 or 9000 people that day um but you know that had all the makings of being great yeah and all it took was a pandemic and a World Cup reschedule and a Qatar location and a ping pong ball to say, you know what? Um, well, that wasn't as good as we thought it was going to
1: be. Well, mm. and people don't realize like when those national teams in soccer, when they play, you know, most of the European countries shut down. Like that's the deal. And so <laughs> then you have to go head to head with that. That is pretty daunting.
0: Yeah, so I, I would say that's probably one example that's going to stick with us for a while that um, was uncontrollable by so many things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, wasn't a negative experience, just could have been better.
2: Yeah. So what goes, uh, so let's get right to the the heart of this thing, Greg. What goes into ultimately scheduling the teams um, or offering the invitations? Do you... Do you break it up geographically, uh, regionally, by different parts of the country you want represented or different conferences? or what? what I know it's probably a pretty complicated formula, but in its, its most basic uh, essence, how, how do you go about finding teams to play in these things?
0: Um, well, I mean, it, I think the, the – the, so we, we will do between 35 and 40 total games in this window um spread across probably seven to eight different venues um and and the couple of our locations are i I would define as kind of anchor locations for us mohegan sun being one of them um phoenix being another one um so from from that perspective i I mean we try to we try to get um we try to fill the mte first the multi-team event first because those get a little farther planned in advance those have some more rules around them um and you know, people seem to re- see people seem to build their schedule around their multi-team event choice in that year most of the time. Even, even these days, kind of with conference realignment and things happening, it's just slowing down the pace of it. Uh, and then from there, from there we're, we're, looking to, we're looking to create a couple other um, consistent locations where we can build momentum in market. So Phoenix would be another example of that for us. Uh, and yes, we do definitely target regional um, or kind of west of the Mississippi first um, while then trying to infuse some, some um, you know, either national or well-known uh, brand in, into that event. Um, and then from there, we've, we've lived in kind of a nimble world, which is where kind of the Toronto opportunity came up where, you know, we feel like we have uh, operationally gotten to the point where um, we can be we can be nimble on our venues, choices, and dates because a lot of the checklist items once the events come together are the same. They're just we're just dealing with different people, and in some cases, you know, given our relationship up at the NBA level, you know, we're able to manage um, events, you know, with an NBA team in an NBA venue to help you know be efficient with the basketball side of it because that's one thing when you walk into an NBA venue and they do basketball all the time, you know. Just adjusting the three-point line is easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 teams part of it is, and as e's, E knows, like we, their teams teams are a total mixed bag. You know, some people are prepared and organized and ready to and know what they want, and typically you get that out of programs that have had some consistency or stability. Then you got teams, especially these days with the transfer portal in play, that 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 don't want to talk about it until May. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then you've got some, some programs that, um, I would say, you know, aggressively shop themselves, um, for, you know, opportunities, you know, financial opportunities and how we, how we blend that together is, is, is really taking a, a survey, if you will, about who's looking for what and where, because we know we're going to have a block of games in November and December. And you know how we, how we navigate the feedback kind of lands us in into um, some options that we then focus on, uh, and target and try to secure secure. So, uh, I would say, I mean, scheduling is a year-round process. It's getting slower with decisions, um, unless you're dealing with a program that really knows what they want and what they need and aren't afraid.
1: All right, I want to take a moment here and uh, mention our good friends over at the This is Purdue podcast. Uh, They do really good work over there, and if you're a Purdue person, uh, certainly worth your while checking that out. This is Purdue is the official podcast of Purdue University. From leading NASA missions to creating life-saving cancer treatments to reaching Victory Lane at the Indy 500, This is Purdue is your destination for Boilermaker stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts appreciate the partnership with those guys over there and if you haven't uh, heard their uh, their podcast check it out good stuff happening over there okay you you bring up a great point with the uh, the transfer portal and the headaches it's caused uh, it used to be and I've done scheduling for us now for 20 years and it's it's uh it used to be that when the summer rolled around and you got to May, uh, especially when you got the June, like if you still needed a game in June, it was like, boy, what's that person doing? They really dropped the ball. It's June and they're looking for a game, and now I get emails in August of people saying I need a game, and I, I would, I'd be a mess if I still needed a game in August. I usually get our stuff done pretty quick, and uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't relate to that. And am I'm, I'm fortunate because we have one of the lowest transfer rates in the country. Uh, but to your point, Greg, you know teams don't know, necessarily know their roster. You have guys transferring on, and then they have to go into the portal to try to fill some holes, and that could take into the summer, whereas before you pretty much knew in May, and then when we, st- like, we start summer school in June, we, kn- we know who our team is. And we still have that luxury, but a lot of teams don't, and that uh, has just prolonged the process for everybody.
0: It, especially in, in our situation. We're talking about one-off neutral site games. Yeah, be- because I mean there's a there's there's a lot of teams that are that are are trying to determine all right I got one game left is my team gonna be good enough to make the NSA tournament or am I or should we be retreating to a home game? Or should we just sit in the middle and see what happens? Yeah a lot of times um, there'll be some decisions like that that are being considered well into the springtime, um, and you know that schedule up, schedule down discussion um, is is so real right now. Yeah, um, because I think there's a lot of people. Some teams are just you know flat out to a, flat out afraid to take on opportunities. Others really want to know who their who's who's on their coaching staff, who's showing up to practice. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and sometimes these one-off neutral site games make it make a difference in March when you're when you're trying to figure out where your team really sits.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, we always schedule games with the thought process being we want to as good a net rating as we can get, and and if you can get good wins. Um, on neutral sites, then, uh, obviously that, that enhances your net rating. And I think that we've taken the philosophy and not everybody does, but if you play a really good team on a neutral side or in a road game and you lose, there's not much downside. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, other than your fans freaking out for 48 hours, uh, there's really not <laughs> much of a downside to playing a really good team and, and coming up short. Um, Whereas there's a tremendous upside if you go somewhere and get a great win on a neutral floor, um, it, there's a lot of benefits to it.
0: Yeah, and I just uh, you know some people some people see it that way. I mean, other people are looking at the quality of, of their league at the time too. It's like okay, well, if our league is in a little bit of a downswing, maybe I do need another good game. If if our league is this top top of the mountain. Um, you know, maybe we don't need another game like that. You know, obviously, you guys have an enormous amount of opportunities through the Big Ten to to get a lot of a lot of quality wins or losses. Um, in in certain cases, and you know, I, frankly, like where we had some where we had some success with your league in particular is uh, when the Gavit games are going on. Like, not everyone can play.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And and those teams that were out of Gavit game rotation. We're more likely than not to say, you know, what I need a one-year stopgap. Yep. As opposed to committing to a series or you know buying another team that you're just going to beat. Um, we had a lot of luck with Big Ten teams, and that and, and in I actually isn't that how the that's how our Brooklyn game came together that one year, I think.
1: Yeah, we had a gap in our uh, in our wooden in our uh, Gavitt stuff, and and uh, ended up playing exactly as you described. Um, and I it'll be interesting now. Uh, well there's a, a, obviously a lot of change afoot um, the conference is adding teams uh, one major conference going away uh, that's going to and, and in our case we don't have a series anymore so the ACC challenge is out the, the Gavitt games are out so now uh, the Big Ten is going to be left up to their own to go out and get some of these games. I would think, and I hope so just being in the big 10 and wanting to see our, our teams play as many good games as possible. I would hope that more teams than ever, uh, you know, give you guys, give you guys a call and want to get in your events.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think everyone's currently waiting to just to hear, you know, what, what is the league going to do next year? Is it going to be twenty twenty one, twenty two? Um, and the other thing, either I, I, we've heard a couple times already, and we haven't just heard this from Big Ten teams. We're hearing this from a lot of teams, is that that notion of some of these games becoming, you know, more more regionalized. Mm-hmm. Like okay, like we're going to look for one more thing, but gee, we don't want to get on another plane trip. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. the notion of uh, the notion of USC at Rutgers being a league game hasn't quite been uh, evaluated yet by the teams doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we
1: uh, and I've I've said that um, I think you and I talked about uh, some potential things out west and and um, like next year we're going to play in a in a San Diego MTE um, and then we're going to return a, a game that we have in Indy this year against Arizona out to Vegas and we know we're going to have to go west one time during league play. And there's just not an appetite to go west a fourth time. I mean, going west three times is pretty uh, is pretty hefty. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's absolutely that element that's been added to it in terms of the travel components and trying to stay a little bit more regional um, is certainly going to be a, a more of a factor than it's ever been.
0: At least you sit in the middle. You can go right yeah. or left. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Some people some people got to go quite a ways now all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's
0: get there i i think i think there's a lot of curiosity you know same with the acc right all of a sudden like duke is going to go to cal uh yeah you know, or or whatever however that sorts itself out um we've we've heard a lot of okay like like we we, we might want to do one more thing but we just don't want to go far to do it
1: yeah i think you, i think that's a great point that there's probably going to be a transition period here for the next year or two where there's just going to be a lot of uh just feeling things out and then you'll probably have i would say a year or two from now more of a more of a road map from teams because yeah i didn't even think about the whole the old miami to berkeley trip
0: Woo. Mm.
1: that is uh. oh.
2: well,
0: that makes sense right i mean i don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> greg
2: any consideration from a uh, a fan base standpoint in how certain teams travel uh, i know in... Postseason college football that often becomes a big talking point for different bowls. Uh, who's going to travel the best? Does that does that take any consideration from your end when you guys are scheduling these events from a basketball standpoint?
0: Well, no. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the ripple effects of people staying regional, right? I mean, you know, take your Arizona game on Saturday. I mean, I, I bet every Purdue fan has their hasn't well, not every, but a lot of purdue fans have the regional ability to get to indianapolis
2: yep not as
0: many have that ability to go fill in the blank to uh to another destination uh obviously the big 10 the big 10 teams in particular one always produce strong tv ratings uh in these type of environments uh and two um just carry such large alumni bases viewership numbers i mean we we have to look at it that way, and and I think we've been surprised a couple times where, where you know some significant basketball schools with smaller alumni bases aren't as impactful as 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 some of the maybe a lesser basketball school with a larger alumni base. Um, so it's just an interesting balance that we that we see, and I think the regional nature of some of this some of these scheduling decisions will. Will actually help fan bases be able to to make these games you know more attractive to their to your own fan base because um, we do hear that sometimes mm-hmm. we hear that indirectly, frankly. Um, well, you know, why is so and so going this far to play when we could play down the street mm-hmm. or play in the next town over? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, we hear that from our seat, let alone your seat, which I'm sure you get feedback on constantly.
1: Yeah, and I think we're at a spot where I think it's been. First of all, we the the success over the last few years has helped, and our fans are, are really um, uh, I think excited to go new places. It's also helped our John Purdue Club is is extremely um, aggressive in putting together things to do in in these destinations for the fans that do travel. Um, and this is perfect to kind of talk about how our game in Toronto started. Um, you know, we kind of had an idea on our end that maybe it'd be cool to get Zach back home if he decided to come back for his senior year. And I, I know I reached out to you and kind of flowed the idea. And then um, when when somebody like in that in that case, uh, Purdue calls and, and they're interested in getting a guy back to Toronto, talk us through like your next steps um, if it's something you guys are interested in.
0: Sure, so that, that kind of speaks to, to our ability to be a little nimble with our decisions. Um, E yeah. so like we had, we had gone to Toronto in 2019 before the pandemic and I worked with Scotiabank arena who is owned by MLSE, um, who own the Raptors. Um, so when you called and asked that question, we had had some experience with dealing with them, um, as an entity. Um, I mean the variables in play from there, um, were obviously, well, the, what day are we going to play? What teams? What teams would you be willing to play? Um, the the concept that if we're going to do a game outside the U.S., you know, it's it, it's almost got to be a homecoming game for everybody, which
1: kind
0: yeah. of the design originally. Um, but the the next set of dominoes that that were involved there was the when the date was established, the navigation of the the venue availability and the holds that were in place because of the in-season tournament the NBA was having. Yeah. And no one at the time knew what was going to be what there, but the venues all had protected holds on their arenas. Um and then the, the 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 draft decisions, right? I mean, we we had gotten to the point as you know that you know, we we and talked to you in Alabama.
1: Yeah.
0: said like like is we need to decide whether we're going anyway cuz yep. otherwise yep. Otherwise, we were going to be staring at each other in June trying to make a decision on something that needed a little more runway than, you know, four months. Um, So uh, basically, you know, because of our experience in Toronto and knowing MLSE and the Raptors, um, we were able to to navigate the the operational issues. But the the dominoes to get us to last Saturday included the, the date discussion, the team discussion, the venue availability, um, and ultimately the draft decisions yeah. that were, important. um, and fortunately all that worked out favorably, I think for everybody involved. Um, but I mean, we, we were, we were taking some educated guesses to get us to last set. <laughs> yes.
1: I got tired of calling you with no updates, uh, <laughs> to be honest, because I kept thinking, like, well, we might have a little clarity on Zach's situation. Eh, we might have a little of this. And, and inevitably, whenever I would call in the spring, I didn't have any updates. And uh, as Purdue fans know, Zach waited until the last part of that window. You know, that's the thing is the season's over now. Like, we all know the window of when guys have to declare. So you have a roadmap of what it looks like. You're just hoping to get it done way ahead of that and – uh Zach went down to the 11th hour and yep. uh, kept us kind of, you know, in suspense a little bit. Um, and at one point, we just decided, you know what, we're going to pull the trigger. And uh, and Alabama did as well. And we thought, well, if we don't have Zach on the roster, we'll still go. And, and obviously, like Toronto's a great destination, so it's not like you're going to you know, somewhere in rural South Dakota where everybody would scratch their head and go, You're going to South Dakota for what if that kid's not on your team anymore? Mm-hmm. Um so Toronto made sense still to go as a as a great city, but um it just it worked out, you know, times ten with Zach in tow.
0: So Yeah, no, I think it and and just you know, the, the you know, obviously the the from the business perspective too, right? The pressure rises um when those variables aren't that clear. Right. Right, because I mean, I, not to say that, not to say it wouldn't have worked out without Zach on the roster, but it sure did look, did sure did look and feel better with Zach on the
1: roster. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs>
0: um, you know, uh, it, it. Those are those are not easy crystal balls, especially these days. And and we just we had to get to a point where guys like we either got to go or not go either way, because like, otherwise, I mean, that the ER process would have dragged on another. We would have been in the summertime trying to figure this all out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it worked great, and uh, i got to say that you guys did a great job putting it all together. The venue was great. Um, it was a good atmosphere in there, too. Um, I think all of our fans who went had an absolutely great time, uh, enjoyed it. Everybody that I talked to really liked Toronto. Um, Zach's mom, uh, even on social media, put out a great – uh, had a great post. I'm just so thankful to, to, uh, to every, everybody that put that together and how that really was, uh, was a special thing for Toronto and for all, all his friends and family up there. It was cool, too, to see some of the synergy with Canada basketball. They had a lot of social media posts and uh, you know recognizing uh, Zach coming back. Um, and, and Canada, it continues to be um, an emerging um, basketball power. Um, I feel like they're just gonna be a, a, a country in a in a in terms of recruiting for colleges, in terms of the national scene, like they're probably gonna turn into one of those teams that just is gonna be in the Olympics every year, whereas before they would have they were having to fight to get their way in. You look at the NBA rosters, there's a lot of Canadians all across the league right now.
0: No doubt. No doubt. Um, no doubt. And I, I agree with you, Eli, that there's clearly a lot of there's a lot of future um for, for both the college level and the professional level um, in, in Canada. You can feel even, you know, it's, it's obviously a hockey market. It's always been a hockey market, um, but, you know, basketball is clearly making a positive impact on uh, uh, locally, you know, in a market like Toronto.
1: So I got to ask, is there anywhere you want to go and play, take a doubleheader, that you have not done so yet is do you have like a a place you're like man i would love to get there and it's just never happened yet and we want to do it at some point (laughs) um
0: i don't know i i I mean we've been doing it long enough where i I don't i don't i don't think so to be honest with you i mean i think we i I think in the right situation we'd like to try something in europe again yeah um i think in when that when that London event was scheduled in 2019 that was lining up to be that was lining up to, to, to do everything it was supposed to do. Um, all of those variables I mentioned earlier threw that into a curveball. Um, you know, I, I think we'd like to try Europe again. We've been approached by Paris to do something there, whether you go back to the O2 in London. But um, I think if we had to, I think from my perspective, like I've, at some point with the right teams, um, I'd like to give Europe another shot because it again it wasn't a bad situation it just could have been better with the other variables not involved
1: yeah well uh, keep us in mind that yeah, so, I I,
0: it. I, I, <laughs>
1: I tell Greg this and it is it is with all sincerity and I tell this to a lot of different um, promoters around the country that have events and put and host games um, you know we're we'll listen to anything um, we're interested in playing new things I mean coach painters philosophy and our MTEs he tries to we try to get places we've never been and um, try to get Purdue basketball into different parts of the country. One of the cool things when we did go up to Toronto, I heard from a handful of families that lived in either New York or in Canada that, were, that had emailed me and said uh, that they were just excited to, f- to see us in person. They had never seen us play in person. The family was coming over. They were really excited to, to finally see a team that they watch on TV all the time. And most of them are, are you know, Purdue grads that are you know, living around uh, different parts of the country. So it was really cool to get into a new uh, new area and get some uh, exposure to some fans that maybe don't get a chance to see us in person very often.
0: Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, obviously, one of the, I'll just say this, like, one of the things that's, you know, when you, when you guys go on the road to say, I don't know, Michigan State, right, you guys know exactly where to go. Exactly yep. when to be there, yeah. Exactly what Coach Painter wants to do in a game like that because you've been there before. When you t- displace teams to new areas and new locations that they haven't been before, you know that like that like hesitation of unknown.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Sometimes is a lot for some people. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not necessarily the case with you guys because of because of Coach Painter. Right. But, I mean, you. <laughs> There's been examples where we've done that with teams and taken them. Where just like the anxiety was up in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and I I tell I tell my counterparts different places when they come back to me with questions like, "Well, how did you guys handle this?" I'm like, uh, "I don't know. We just handled it. Like,
2: we just did
1: it." And, and you're right. Like it comes from Coach Painter. Like I, I think, and I tell I we deal with it a lot of times when teams go on foreign trips uh, in the summer and they go to Europe. Or they go different places and they'll say well how did you handle this or that and i'm like hey man you have to go with the flow when you are over there i said because nothing's going to be the same you know the whole like oh four hours we're gonna have a pregame meal at the hotel and it's gonna be this and it's gonna be that and the the locker room's gonna have a lot of space and there's gonna be a big dry erase board to ride on no like none of that none of that over there Uh, and you just have to roll with it and i think uh We've always viewed it as if you're able to roll with those kind of things, then you're able to roll with in game adversity even better. So,
0: yeah, no, no, I mean, we've had people come off the hoop, uh, come off the bus and measure the basket, whether it was 10 <laughs> feet or not. We've, we've had our coaching staff go in and measure the size of the whiteboard in the locker room <laughs> just because they haven't been there before.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had we had the small uh, dry race boards in uh, Toronto, and I said, I told Coach Painter, I said, "Yeah, I go." You know, some teams were were a little worried about the size of those. He goes, "Well, you just have to ride smaller." It's a really interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but for some people, that would just totally send them off the ledge.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, coaches oh, are yes. so delicate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg, uh, we end at each of these. Uh, Podcast. We do a final four questions, and it's kind of four off-the-beaten-topic uh, questions that we ask each guest. So we're going to get to the final four with you now. Uh, first question here on the final four is: uh, What is your favorite music or go-to music of choice?
0: Oh, interesting. So I've converted into more of like a modern country uh, type person. Okay. Um, that's not where we. That's not where I started, but that's where I'm at currently. I don't know if that's showing my age or. Just my change in, change in lifestyle, but um, I would say I'm more of a modern country person these days.
1: Where did you start?
0: I would say I started more in like the the Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, U two type category.
1: Okay, all right, there we go. Being out east there in Massachusetts, I don't how how uh, popular is modern country out there.
0: Uh, well, I mean, when the acts kind of tour of the area i mean they're, they're, i mean if, if it's if it's at gillette stadium or whatnot with the where the patriots play and it's the right act i mean it's it's definitely still a full house
1: yeah yeah i guess uh,
0: I, I would say it's kind of growing on maybe my generation a little bit yeah um but it's i mean it's certainly not likely you'll get down south or in the southwest either. Yeah.
1: yeah okay question two here on the final four what is your favorite all-time book or maybe a good book you've read recently
0: Oh man, um, I don't spend a lot of time in the library. Never have. <laughs> um, I will. I can answer that from a movie perspective. I thought the new top, the 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 the, the sequel to Top Gun, was was excellent. Um, most, I can't, I, most I can't. Most people say love
1: a, that. Most people. I can't,
0: have... I can't say I've read a book in a in a while. To be very honest with you, I, I guess that's bad.
1: So the running joke with me and my wife is I've never s- seen the original Top Gun start to finish. No way. And that's like you her, haven't? and that's like her favorite movie. And so it became wow. a, a deal where she would say, "You haven't seen Top Gun." And I was like, "No." And I then she made it seem like such a you know, unusual phenomenon that like then it then it became like, "Okay, well, I'm not going to see it now because I got <laughs> to keep that." Right. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Which is so stupid. Out of spite, I
2: will not watch it.
1: <laughs> so stupid, but anyway. So yeah, but she uh, she all in on the sequel. I mean, she went and saw it to the, in the theater, then took my son to see it. And just everybody that's seen Top Gun seems to really love the sequel. So
2: that uh, that's amazing that you have not seen the original Top Gun.
1: Yeah, and I pay attention enough to know like I'll know like some things like the song they sing in the bar. You know the what is Great it? The Beverly. Yeah, that and the – Jerry know, Lee Lewis, Great Balls of yeah, Fire. Yeah, and that stuff. Like I know those scenes just because I've heard yeah. trivia questions or things like that. Right. I know like there, there's a famous volleyball scene or whatever. Oh yes. You know? oh, yes. So some of that stuff I like know without having seen the movie, which is – I just need to see it and just <laughs> yes. get over it. But I don't know. Stubborn. It's the stubbornness in me. That, Interesting. You know,
0: well, look at that we just dragged the fun fact out of you too. In the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. exactly. That's
1: right. Okay, question 3 here on the final 4. If you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would it be?
0: <laughs> um you know, some, some some days, some days and I think we all feel this way like I leave the office and say, gee, it would be great to have that like nine to three job and kind of clock out at the end of the day yeah yeah um, uh, so I, I I would probably lean a little bit more in uh, in, in that direction like I think being around kind of the game and you know people that have done really well in, in, in the game at, at all levels like some of their lives don't look that fun to me um, even though they have everything at their disposal I would I would say the answer to that question for me would be to simplify it and retreat a little bit.
1: That's a great, great answer. And, and that's one that I think that uh, there's a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, I know they know that, like, there's a lot of hours and you work hard and things like that. But really in this business, the inability to just be able to turn it off and unplug is so hard to do. And mm-hmm. that's why, like like this time of year coming up is because we're taping this in the middle of December. I can't wait for those like four days around Christmas when we're off. And like, because everybody, everybody's off, right? That's like one of the few times where like the phone doesn't ring or buzz and oh. everybody feels that way. And those are just glorious days.
0: Hmm. I would agree. I mean, I uh, we've, like I said, we like you guys, I mean, we've been fortunate to see so much in this game and be around so many people. I mean, there's, there's, Sometimes there's, there's, there's just, there's not an, the the money part of it is just, not as important.
1: Yeah, no, great point, great answer. All right, final question here on the final four. What is uh, a little known fact or something no one knows about you?
0: Nobody knows about me. Hmm.
1: And if you haven't seen Top Gun, sorry I already. I already stole that one stole from. It. You. <laughs>
0: um. Hmm. Nobody knows about me. I live a pretty boring life to be very honest with you. People know uh, or any my, uh, or my, any
1: interesting my, facts or odd 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 things that
0: Um, like quirks almost yeah yeah could be that <laughs> um i mean my my wife jokes to me all the time like why do you have to do laundry every night
1: you do laundry every night
0: yeah that's like my that's like our home routine
1: oh well this is that's uh, outstanding
0: say, that's a very interesting
1: one that's, actually that's a great one so every night you're doing a load of laundry
0: if I'm home uh, every night, the laundry goes down. It gets folded before I leave the house the next day. I don't know. People think that's insane, but um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes that, I do think that's
1: that insane. Is, that's outstanding. <laughs> that's an outstanding answer. Whoa. So, is this a, a is this is this an OCD thing? Is it just like this? Do you enjoy it?
0: I just, I just see the basket of laundry. It's like, well, that's got to be done. Like, it, it, it kind of extension of like, it's like checking off an operations list at work. Oh. Yeah. No, the dishwasher's gotta be empty, the laundry's gotta be done. The...
1: I can totally the relate.
0: House, can't, can't leave the house without that stuff being done.
1: I can totally relate. I'm that way in some other things. I'm not that way in laundry. Um, but that I totally appreciate that that uh sentiment. Absolutely. That is that is outstanding. How many people there's always these like memes and stuff I see on, on Instagram where it's like uh, oh, you know, did some laundry, and then it sat in the basket for, you know, 10 days until I decided to put it away. And, like, you're
2: the exact nope. opposite. Wow. Nope, that
0: basket was empty this morning when I left out. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> wow, that is is. Is awesome. it is it
2: just you and your wife in the house, Greg, or kids? Or?
0: Uh, I have a daughter. She's, uh, she's six years old. She's in first grade, and we, we have a cat. Um, Also, so I'm the only male in the house. Also,
2: but but she can't. I wouldn't think generate that much dirty laundry in a day. So, but still, every night you're
0: every night. Well,
2: you know what's amazing is
1: when if she decides to play sports, there will be no more.
2: Oh crap! I got to wash the
1: soccer jersey. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, for the two o'clock game, I got to get up that morning and wash it. You know, it will be done and handled (laughs) and (laughs) folded and (laughs) folded. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, I want to uh, thank you for taking time to join us. This was great. Um, I know our listeners will enjoy it. Um, and uh, we try to uh, – we, we, we normally do a lot of former players and things like that, but it, it, from time to time we like to venture out into in the world of uh, college basketball and, and educate our fans on some of the things that are going on out there. So this was great for you to, to take some time. So uh, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Anytime, me. Hey. Good to talk again. Let us know when we can schedule our next game.
1: Yeah, there we go. I'm sure that will We're be ready. happening sooner than later. So I uh, want to thank our listeners for, uh, for listening. Episode 94 here on the podcast. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.
2: Good night, everyone.